Welcome to the audio podcast of The Father's House. We hope and pray that you are both challenged and encouraged by this time in the Word. I just want to welcome all of our campuses, Napa, East Bay, Roseville, prison campuses, everyone watching online, we love you. It's amazing to see what God is doing all across Northern California. We are one church, many locations, and uh, man, the church is growing. God is on the move. And uh, today I'm really excited because I get to conclude uh, the Advent series that we've been in the last four weeks. I want to encourage you, if you haven't heard the messages from the last three weeks, go on YouTube, watch them, share them. They have been absolutely incredible. Last week, Pastor Dave talked about love. And uh, man, you need to listen to that message. And today I get to conclude the series and I am talking on joy. So Advent's four weeks. We have hope, we have peace, we have love, and we have joy. Um, But I want to start off today by just simply saying Merry Christmas. Would you turn to your neighbor, say Merry Christmas. Guys, it's one week away. One week, if you haven't bought the gifts yet, now's the time. I can't believe it's only one week. Um, In our household, the Fuquay household, we are gung-ho on Christmas right now because we have a four-year-old and a six-year-old. So that is like best time to be alive when it is Christmas time. Everything's magical. Everything's real. Whenever we drive past houses with lights, Lucy freaks out. She's like, Dad, lights. And then they remind me that we don't have any lights on our house. <laughs> like, Dad, where are they? And I tell them next year, we'll get them on sale after Christmas. We'll prepare for the future. And uh, you said that last year. Okay, just be quiet. <laughs> Do you want presents? Come on. But we're, we're, we're going all gung-ho. We love Christmas movies. We've been watching them. It's been awesome. I love Christmas movies. I love all the Christmas movies. It makes you feel some sort of way. But one thing about the Christmas movies that is not accurate is the way kids open presents on Christmas movies. That was not my experience at all. Like in the Christmas movies, this is what happens. They wake up before their parents. They run down and they just begin to tear open Christmas presents Their parents aren't even there watching. Then the parents wake up and they're like, oh, then they begin to talk, you know. That's not the way I grew up. It was a very rigid, structured way of opening presents. And I get it because we spend a lot of money on presents. We need some uh, return for that investment. We need some ROI and that ROI is the joy that we see. So of course I'm gonna be there and I'm gonna control the environment. Man, it's so funny how dads get on Christmas morning. They turn into like an emperor where they sit on the chair, they select who gets to go. That's what I do, that's what my did, that's what Jack will do and my kids will do, I'm sure. Mine was a little bit different though. So I grew up in a pastor's home. So this is how Christmas morning went. We had always Christmas Eve service the night before which I want to encourage you to come to Christmas Eve next week. Make it a part of your family tradition. But as a kid, it wasn't something to be enjoyed. It was something to get through. Okay, we have one, one, like one more service, and then we go to sleep, and then we get open presents. And you get open one present on Christmas Eve, usually pajamas. It's awesome. And so then we would wake up in the morning. But when you wake up in the morning, you better not wake up mom and dad because they get to sleep in. And if you do wake them up, there's a risk that may be a threat that you might not be able to open your presents. So if you want to open your presents, you better let us sleep in. So by the time my parents would wake up, then they would come and they would prepare breakfast. We would be sitting there at the table, looking at the tree with all of the presents, trying to 
guess which box was which. We're eating a slow, eternal breakfast. <laughs> and then finally we finish breakfast, wash the dishes, and then my dad's like, okay, let's gather around the tree. But we didn't get open presents yet. We would go from that to my dad opening the Bible, to Luke chapter two, and then reading the Christmas story to us. And then after that, one at a time, we would open our gifts. That's what we would do on Christmas Day. And so what I wanna do today is kind of invite you into some of our traditions. And I wanna read Luke chapter two. I wanna read the Christmas story for us today as we end this Advent series. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter two in verse one. Luke chapter two in verse one. It says this, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. That's difficult to say. And when they all went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day, uh, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom with he is pleased. This is the Christmas story. This is why we celebrate Christmas. If you've seen a nativity scene, this is what's happening here. But also, I love in this story, there are six words that sum up the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us so completely. And it is this, good news, great joy, all people. This is the gospel. It's good news. I want to let you know, if you are new to church God is not mad at you. In fact, he is madly in love with you. Like we learned last week, while we were far off, God ran to us and showed us his love. This is good news. The fact that we are all sinners, we're all broken. We all deserve punishment, but we have a God who loved us so much that he gave his son Jesus to die on the cross so that we do not have to live in condemnation, guilt, or shame but we can walk in peace and wholeness. This is the good news. And I wanna let you know this good news is available to you today. And the result of this good news is a promise of great joy. Great joy is not an emotional feeling, but it is a state of being. That when we experience the good news of what Jesus did for us, it changes who we are from the inside out. And this promise is available to all people. 
All people. That means you. Watching online. Maybe you just found this video and you don't know anything about God, but you're searching. The good news is for you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care the mistakes that you've made. It's for all people. No matter what you look like, no matter where you grew up, all people. This is the gospel. This is what changes our life completely. This is what brings freedom, hope, and life. Good news, great joy, all people. And notice this, it points to a person because it says, unto you this day a savior is born. The good news, the great joy for all people always points to a person and that is Jesus. There's no good news without Jesus. There's no great joy without Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And today on the last day of Advent, we are talking about that great joy. And I want to let you know, first and foremost, that great joy is a person and it's Jesus Christ. And I believe today he wants to change the way you view joy. Because notice this promise of, of joy is a state of being, it's not an emotion you feel. See, we all want joy. We all want a joyful Christmas. We sing about it. Merry Christmas, happy Christmas. We all want that joy. And in and, and this Christmas holiday season, I know you would say, yeah, I want that joy. And maybe what Pastor Joseph prayed about, you're feeling a little bit anxious, fearful. You're like, no, I want, a, I want a joyful Christmas. I want a happy Christmas. I think it's important, though, that we define what this promise of joy is. Because this promise of joy given in Luke chapter 2 is vastly different than the definition that oftentimes we culturally give joy. Oftentimes we reduce this promise of joy to simply a feeling of happiness. We make, we make joy and happiness synonymous. But this promise of joy is actually vastly different than happiness. Let's look at the cultural definition of joy. Webster's Dictionary. Super smart people wrote this, I'm trusting. Um, Webster, whoever that is. It says this, joy is the emotion evoked by well-being. Feel good, so now you feel great about yourself, you have joy. It's an emotion evoked by success or good fortune or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. This is a good definition of joy. This is a smart definition of joy. But this is not the definition of the promise of joy that the angels gave the shepherds and God gives to us today. You see, sometimes in the Bible, the word joy is used this way. To talk about a feeling or an emotion that is a response to something that's happened. You know, whether it's in, in Matthew 18 where the shepherd finally finds his lost sheep. And what does he do? He rejoices. He found the sheep and therefore he rejoices. Or maybe it's like the Gentiles in Acts 15. It says that they rejoiced greatly when the council decided that you didn't have to be circumcised to be a part of the church. That is a response of joy. It is a feeling because of a circumstance. These are not the promise, promises of joy that Jesus gives us though. It's vastly different. You see, happiness is based off of circumstances that happen around you. Joy transcends whatever happens to you or around you. You see, happiness is based off of a feeling. 
Joy is a deep uh, state of being that is determined by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's not a feeling, it's a fruit of the Spirit. And we'll get into more of that later. Happiness is temporary. You can be happy one moment and then sad the next. If you have a four-year-old, especially a four-year-old little girl, you know this. It can go from crying and screaming to happy in just moments. Happiness is temporary. Joy, and this promise of joy, is eternal, and it lasts forever. Happiness and joy are vastly different things. I love this definition that Warren Wearsby gives for joy and this promise of joy. He says this, that it is an inward peace and sufficiency that is not affected by outward circumstances. I want to read that one more time. That inward peace, that inward just sense of everything's going to be okay. That inward peace and sufficiency that is not affected by outward circumstances. I've also heard this. Happiness happens, but joy abides. So something can make you happy. And we try to find happiness and usually... We try to fill the void on the inside of us, which is searching for true joy, but we chase after happiness and pleasure, but that's like trying to grab at smoke and we just can never quite get enough. And it seems like when we have it, we lose it. And we do this by trying to get the right job, making enough money, building up your 401k, doing all the things, going on the right vacations, you know, go on vacation to Disneyland, the happiest place on earth. Yeah, please. What about the drive home when everyone's tired? melting down, it's there, but you can't quite, this is not the definition of joy God gives us. And so today, I want to look at a biblical definition of joy, and I would ask you, let's be open for God to change maybe our definition of what joy is. Because when we look at scripture, this promise of joy supersedes all circumstances, all feelings, all emotions, and it's actually something greater. If you don't believe me, look at James 1. He says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Oh, I love that last part. Perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Imagine that state of being. Lacking nothing, whole. But he says this, count it all joy when you face various trials. That doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound like Merry Christmas opening presents. That's what I want. But count it all joy when you face various trials, when you go through struggle, when you face pain. You can still access this joy that God has for you. It's easy to feel joy when things are good. But the type of joy God wants to give us can last even in the difficult times. It's easy to have joy when you have everything, but God wants to give us a joy that lasts when you have nothing. And you can still have everything you need and have nothing, as long as you have that one thing, and that's Jesus. See, this is the type of joy God wants to give you. it's, It's different than our cultural definition. It's different than our cultural understanding. So today, I want to go through four points Four scriptures, and I want to look at what is this promise of joy, and what does it look like in my life, and my prayer is that we would access this joy, 
that this Christmas, this holiday season, we would step into a new level of the promise of God's joy for our life. Maybe some of you today are facing struggle. You are in the middle of a battle. I want to let you know, joy is available to you. You have access to a greater joy. Even if you're trying to figure out, even right now, man, how are we going to pay for this? How is this going to get done? I want to let you know, you can access joy right now. Joy is a gift and a promise that God wants to give you. And so let's look at this first, and I just gave it away. The first point of what biblical joy is, is joy is a gift. Joy is a gift. The Greek word for joy is kara, which means cheerfulness, calm, delight, gladness, exceeding joy. And one of the root, so this is the Greek word, one of the root words for this is charis. So you have kara, joy, and then charis. The, the English word for the Greek word charis is grace. What is grace? Grace is an undeserved, unearned, unmerited gift. Grace is perfectly embodied in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. We didn't earn it. We couldn't deserve it. We can't do anything to get it. But yet God gave his son freely. Why? Because he loves us deeply and wants to restore us in relationship with him. Here's what you must understand about the good news, the gift of God. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't be good enough to make yourself right with God. We can only do it through the free gift of grace which God gives us. And I wanna let you know, God extends that hand of grace to you today. It's a gift. What God does for us is a gift. And that gift is directly connected to the uh, outcome of that gift, which is joy. So the joy of God and the gift of God are inseparably connected. And you can't do anything to deserve, earn God's joy that he wants to give you. Man, if I would just be a better person, then I could access joy. No, it is a gift of grace. Anytime we try to earn God's grace or God's joy, what we are saying is what Jesus did was not good enough for me. I want to let you know the work of Jesus on the cross is sufficient. It wasn't free. It cost him a lot, but he gives it to you freely. So do not let our own idea of ourself keep us from accessing the promise of joy God has for us. He wants to give it to you freely. But how do we receive that gift? The same way you would receive any gift. You have to receive it empty-handed. Someone wants to give you a gift. You have to let go of whatever's in your hand so you can receive it. If you want to receive the gift and promise of joy for your life, you have to come to the cross empty-handed and say, God, I give you everything. God, I surrender everything. And then we take a posture of faith and then we simply receive. You can receive that gift right now. Right now where you're sitting, God wants to make that gift of joy available to you. I love this in Romans 15. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I love that. God, the, the picture is like this. God is pouring out his joy and peace onto us. We simply have to position ourselves to receive it. It's that position 
of desperation and faith saying, God, I don't want to do this on my own, but yet God wants to pour it out on you freely. It is a free gift. Second is this, joy is a fruit. More specifically, a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is not a feeling. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Feelings come and go. Feelings are based on circumstances, bad conversations, something someone did to you. Fruit of the Spirit is, transcends all of that. And actually, a fruit of the Spirit is a sign that you have been filled with the Spirit and you are a follower of Jesus. We can identify a type of tree by the type of fruit it bears. When we've given our life to Jesus and when we live by the Spirit. See, see when we get saved, when we experience salvation, we now have access to stop living based off of our feelings and start living based off of the Spirit. We don't think based off of our feelings, we think based off of the Spirit. It's a greater way of living. And I believe for you today, joy is not something we work up or build up, but it's seeds we plant and water and grow, and then we bear fruit. So when you feel like responding one way, there's a greater power on the inside of you, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. It says this in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So when the Holy Spirit lives on the, on, on the inside of you, he produces fruit, which gives us a greater way of living. We respond to life, not based out of our own feelings, but based off of the fruit of the Spirit. So I want to ask you today, especially if you're a church goer, you've been here for a while. Are you living based off of your feelings or are you living based off of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit? Do you invite the Holy Spirit into your thinking, into your decisions, into your everyday living, your conversations, how you work? how you treat your spouse and your kids. Are we led by the Spirit or are we led by our feelings? Because when we're led by the Spirit, there is fruit of the Spirit. And I believe during this Christmas season and this new year, for your life, your life will be marked by the fruit of the Spirit. But we have to live a life that's surrendered to the Spirit. A life that's marked by peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and self-control and joy. That joy, that, that state of being that completely changes the way we live. So, so joy is a gift. Joy is a fruit. And number three, joy is an action. Joy is an action. When I was young, my dad would listen to Joyce Meyer a lot. Anyone, anyone like Joyce? A few of you? A few of you. Um, when I, so, so when we listened to her, I don't remember a lot of what she would say, but I do remember one thing she would always say. She would always say this, joy is a choice. And I was like, that makes sense. My parents would always tell me that. I've had a bad attitude. Hey, joy is a choice. But I want to give all the husbands some advice here. If your spouse is upset and you say, hey, joy is a choice, it doesn't work. I know from experience. It might be true, but it doesn't work to tell your spouse that. <laughs> but I want to let you know, joy, joy is a choice. And, 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 but this is what you have to understand. It's not a choice to feel something different. It's not like, oh, I'm feeling very down right now. I'm going to feel better. No, it doesn't work that way. Plus, emotions aren't bad. 
The thing about joy, you can have joy when you're feeling sad. You can have joy when things aren't working and when things are working. It's not a choice to feel something different. Joy is a choice to obey God's word. Simple as that. Joy is a choice that you can make to obey God's word. I love this because I don't care where you're at or what the environment is. You can always make a decision to trust and obey God's word. Jesus says this. He says this in uh, uh, John 15. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I love this. Obedience brings proximity to Jesus, which gives us access to joy. When we obey, we are making a decision to put our feelings, our desires, what we want on the back burner, and we say, God, I'm trusting that you have your best for me, and I'm going to follow your commandments. When we choose to obey God's word, we draw near to Jesus, and when we draw near to Jesus, we have access to the joy that only he can give us. So I want to ask you today, if you want joy in your life, have you obeyed God's word? It's very simple. You don't have to understand the entirety of God's word, but it is important that we read God's word, and when he speaks to us, that we respond in obedience. Not perfection, but obedience. I do know this. One of the greatest things that can separate, separate you from the joy of God is unrepentant sin. Areas in your life that you know you've disobeyed God and you've held on to. Sin separates us. But I want to let you know also, if you would simply come to Jesus and say, God, forgive me. There's always a fresh start. There's a choice you can make right now to take your brokenness, your sin, your shame, your addiction, bring it to Jesus, and in exchange, he will give you a new state of being, a joy that is so great. But don't let that separate you from God's love. Right now, you have an opportunity to step out in obedience. If you don't know what to do, what is the last thing God told you, and did you listen? Start there. I want to let you know God wants to forgive you and draw you near so we can abide with him, so we could receive his love. And lastly, and I want to end with this, joy is a position. You know, as we celebrate Advent, we have to understand what Advent means. Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means, uh, I have it right here. I, I tried to remember, but I'm going to read it. Cool. Which means coming or arrival. Adventist means coming or arrival. So we understand it in the context of Christmas. They were looking forward towards the coming of baby Jesus, who was going to come and save the world, died on the cross for our sins, rose again. This happened. And then Jesus ascended into heaven. But where we're at today, Advent actually carries a vastly different meaning. Yes, we are remembering what Jesus did, but we are also looking forward to what Jesus is going to do. You see, Advent is about looking towards the future. You see, Jesus ascended into heaven, but what we understand from Scripture is that Jesus will return. Jesus is coming back. The day is fastly approaching where Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to call his bride unto him. 
He's going to judge both the living and the dead. And, and as followers of Jesus, he will look us in the face and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he will welcome you into his glory and his grace and his peace and his mercy. Jesus is going to return and he's going to make all that is wrong right. Jesus is going to wipe every tear from every eye. He's going to heal all disease and all brokenness. He's going to restore all of creation to his glory. He's going to punish the devil and his demons and put them in the eternal lake of fire. He's going to be just and good and defeat evil once and for all. Squash it and crush it. And the enemy will have no more power. And we will spend all eternity in his glory. This is what we are looking forward to. This is what we are putting our eyes on. The fact that in the end, we win. In the end, we will be victorious. Because Jesus is coming back and he is a victorious king. And so what is our position and why is joy a position? Because our position right now is victory. Because in the end, we win. Even if it seems like you're losing right now, I want to let you know the end of your story is victory. So when we face trials, when we face difficulty, we can hold on to joy because joy is a hope that Jesus is returning and he will make all that is wrong right. If you're in the thick of it right now, I want to let you know, no matter what, we win. So the enemy will try to keep you from pressing on He'll try to tear you down, get you to give up. But if we press on and hold on to all that God has for us, in the end, we will win. Hold on to joy, because joy is a position of victory. And man, if you're in the middle of the fight, today you're feeling maybe dealing with depression, anxiety, worry. I want to let you know that you can access joy. I want to end with this scripture. It says this, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that he has set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus went to the cross. He suffered on our behalf. And I want to let you know, if you are in the middle of suffering, you are in the middle of a trial, Jesus understands because Jesus has been there too. Jesus suffered like we suffer. And he went to the cross and laid down his life for us and took all shame, guilt, and punishment. Why? Because he loved us. I love this. It says that he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? It was you. It was me. Jesus went to the cross so that we could be restored into relationship with him. And so if you are in the middle of a battle today, I want to let you know, you do not have to fight alone, but Jesus is fighting for you. And you are the joy set before him. And now the joy set before us is Jesus. Things could fall apart. People could stab our backs. But if we have Jesus, we have everything. 
You can lose everything and still have everything you need in Jesus because he's the joy set before us. So I want to encourage you today, grab a hold of the joy that can't be taken from you. It's good news, great joy. It's for all people. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. For more information on our church and other teaching resources, log on to our website at tfh.org or call our office at 707-455-7790.